0: This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News.
1: This month celebrates the contributions and influence of Asian Americans in the US, and yet nationwide, anti-Asian hate is on the rise.
0: Today, a Real Talk about the impact and repercussions that's having on the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities of Colorado.
1: Plus, a chef who hopes food opens the door to more acceptance.
0: Welcome to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Haffel,
1: And I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. Each week, in a partnership between Denver 7 and CPR, we'll have a Real Talk about issues impacting underrepresented people across Colorado.
0: Now, May is Asian-American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It's a way to celebrate the contributions and influence of Asian-Americans to the history and culture of the U.S.
1: Asian-Americans have deep roots in the city of Denver, but those roots are not always portrayed accurately. I took a look at a controversial plaque in Denver's Lodo neighborhood that retold a historic event leaving out key details. Ultimately, the community got it removed. Before it was home to Coors Field and rows of locally owned restaurants, lower downtown in Denver, also known as Lodo, was the center of Chinese American culture in the city.
2: In the 1800s there was a thriving Chinatown in the area and um, it was a significant part of the population.
1: Kai Bong, a member of Colorado Asian Pacific United, or Kapu, says In the 1870s, Chinese immigrants who just helped complete the Transcontinental Railroad made a home here.
2: Unfortunately, there was a race riot in the 1880s and that basically started the Um, the push out of the Chinese population. There's basically no trace of the the history, just this plaque over here.
1: But Vong says this walking tour plaque posed problems.
2: And doesn't really accurately describe what even happened. On October 31st, 1880, uh, at a pool hall, a fight broke out between two Chinese immigrants and four white men. And the fight Kind of spilled out into the street.
1: Gil Asakawa, a journalist and member of Denver's Asian American community, says thousands of white Denverites rampaged through Lodo, chasing Chinese residents while burning down businesses and homes.
2: While the Chinese were fleeing, one man was caught, beaten to death, and hung from a lamppost.
1: That man's name was Look Young.
2: He uh, was not mentioned in this historic plaque, he was not mentioned by name, but that same plaque mentions by name, three white business owners who took in Chinese, which is a great, you know, Chinese who are running away and protected them. That's great that they were, you know, being allies. Um, But it, it just seems off.
1: Vong and Asakawa say another problem with the plaque is the header, which reads Hop Alley, Chinese Riot of 1880.
2: The race riot. it's an anti-Chinese race riot, not a Chinese riot, right? Um, and, and so it gives the wrong impression right away.
1: I just want to say this is very painful history to go over, but it adds insult to injury when you don't portray that pain correctly. So I'm glad this community effort has led to change.
0: Yeah, and it is definitely something that is impacting the community, and and something that is it's really great that it's being resolved. Absolutely, yeah. So last August, that plaque was finally taken down by the city of Denver. In fact, the city also apologized for its role in the riot, saying Denver did not protect Chinese residents. The plaque was donated and preserved by History Colorado.
1: Currently, an artist is painting a brand new mural to act as a replacement to the plaque. This mural is being painted on the side of Fire Station Number no. 4, right at the corner of 19th and Lawrence in Denver.
0: To learn more, we spoke with that artist who's making the mural, Nali Lore.
1: Nolly, thank you so much for joining us. Thank
3: you guys so much for having me. So first, tell us about your involvement in the mural. Uh, how did you get picked to design it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, the organization I'm working with, Colorado Asian Pacific United, they uh, have an open call for artists to submit a design that they would like to have painted on the uh, wall for the mural. And I uh, was referred by one of my good friends from college, And I kind of actually came up with a few different designs and uh, their organization loved what I came up with and actually combined both of my proposals together for the
0: mural. Can you describe what the mural looks like?
3: It's very colorful, very vibrant. I really wanted to emphasize fun in the image, not only to capture people walking by, but to also capture what the past was, you know, it was more than just the plaque, more than what people know it as. It was lively, it was fun. And so my image really incorporates these bright colors to bring to life the timeline of history. We have a long life noodle uh, to hope for the longevity and prosperity of the community that was there as well as the present one and hope for the future Um, most importantly i have a proverb on there Uh, it's written in chinese characters and it says uh, be not afraid of moving slowly, be afraid of standing still. Oh, I, like that. I love the fact that it's capturing the fact that this was a thriving community, a populous
1: community that helped really lay the building blocks mm-hmm. for Denver. And this yeah. often gets lost and it gets lost too often. But I do want to talk about why it was important for you personally
3: to get involved in this project. Yeah, when I first looked at their open call, um, the first thing that came to mind was just, it's amazing mm-hmm. what they're doing and it really aligned with my own personal values, my own um, experience as an Asian American living here in Colorado, and I loved what they were doing, you know, they were calling it out, they are correcting it, and to be part of something so historical and really magical is a milestone that I wanted to be a part of. And and
0: from your personal standpoint, bringing out that positive aspect of your culture, are there also negatives that you're you're feeling and processing as you do this mural?
3: Yes, um, I've been on my own personal journey, you know, just my own identity as a Hmong American as well, um, as well as just being an artist. There's been a lot of negatives. I've been facing my own fears personally and a sense of belonging here Um, in my own skin even, and I faced that a lot with the mural, designing it, and doing all my research to make sure that I am portraying history correctly as well, and there's a lot of ugly in the past with the anti-Chinese race riot, and bringing that to light, and trying to turn it into a way that is still shedding light on that negativity, but focusing more on the positive.
1: What do you want our viewers and listeners to know about Asian American culture? And I want to ask this carefully because obviously there's a lot of diversity uh, among Mm -hmm. Asian Americans. But is there something that you specifically want people to know about culture or also how it pertains to the mural that you painted?
3: Yeah, as far as culture goes, you know, it it is very important to be sensitive to it because there are so many different uh, ethnicities and nationalities out there. Um, But I think That is what I really want to emphasize, you know, it is rich in history, rich in culture, rich in people, and to embrace it rather than focus on those differences, to focus on what makes them beautiful and to really encompass them together in one community.
0: Now, beyond the mural, are there any other projects that you're doing coming down the line in the future?
3: (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, I would love to. Um, I've had a lot of people walk by and they really love the mural. And they've reached out um, to see maybe if I'm interested in doing murals down the line. Uh, This is my first mural, so it's really great to have that feedback from people. Uh, Right now, I would love to continue this work. Um, I'm super grateful for everything that the organization is doing, the community is doing, and to be part of that in my own way with visual art would be fantastic. Well, we certainly hope you continue this work because you're doing amazing work. <laughs> thank you so much.
1: muralist Nali Lore, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys. This month, survivors of the historic Japanese internment camp Amachi and their families will visit the site near Grenada, Colorado. The annual pilgrimage will happen on Saturday, May 20th this year. During World War II, more than 7,000 Japanese Americans were forced from their homes and imprisoned at places like Amachi simply because of their Japanese ancestry. For many years, survivors and Coloradans living near Grenada worked to preserve Amachi and last year, President Biden signed a law designating Amachi as a National Historic Site.
0: The pandemic sparked an increase in hate crimes against Asian Americans, and that's taking a toll on the community in our state.
1: After the break, we look at the data behind this increase and hear firsthand perspective on its impact. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith.
0: And I'm CPR's Nathan Haffel. Today we're having a real talk about issues impacting Asian Americans in Colorado. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, which acts as a way to honor the culture and history of Asian Americans.
1: But since the start of the pandemic, anti-Asian hate has been on the rise across our country. The group Stop AAPI Hate has compiled data on hate crimes reported to them between March 2020 and March 2022.
0: And the numbers are really quite staggering. In that two-year time period, their data shows there were more than 11,500 hate incidents reported. The data shows that harassment is the biggest problem, with two-thirds of those incidents involving some kind of verbal or written hate speech.
1: Listen to this perspective from a woman named Luella Cabalona, whose husband purchased a gun to protect her family.
3: We always feel like it's not going to
0: happen to me. People are not going to spit on me or, you know, curse at me or slash me in the face while I'm in the train. But...
3: The reality is like people close to me, like my husband, know and feel that it can.
1: We're also seeing an increase in these kinds of crimes here in Colorado. I sat down with Harry Budisidhartha, who is the executive director of the Asian Pacific Development Center, to hear what kind of impact we're seeing in our state. Harry, over the past few years, we've seen hate crime statistics continue to increase. But beyond the numbers, you're hearing from community members where this is their lived experience. Talk to me about some of the things you're hearing.
4: Absolutely, yes. Unfortunately, hate crime is still a sad reality for our community. You know, we receive numerous reports about hate crimes such as spitting, yelling, vandalism, and even physical assault as well. And we always do what we can to help the victims to encourage them to report to law enforcement so that the police can hold these perpetrators accountable.
1: I know a lot of times people think, okay, that's happening elsewhere in the United States, but what you're hearing is happening here in Colorado.
4: Correct. Yes, we do receive reports from all over the Denver metro area, and even in some areas that's outside, outside of the metro area as well.
1: What can be done to combat this?
4: Uh, I think more community outreach by the law enforcement by community organizations to reassure victims that it is okay for them to come forward, to report the crime. We often find that people are reluctant to report the crime because of various factors, you know, fear of police, fear of how this will impact their life, fear of how this will impact their immigration status. So I think we need to do more of that education and outreach to reassure people that it is okay to come forward.
1: I want to move now to some good news. Let's talk about the creation of the Center of Excellence for Refugees and Immigrants. This will be the very first Center of Excellence in Colorado dedicated to behavioral health services for refugees and immigrants. Give me a few more details.
4: Correct. Yes, we are very excited about this project because this is the first of its kind, the the very first Center of Excellence in Mental Health for Refugees and Immigrants in Colorado. Uh, this is a partnership between Asian Pacific Development Center and our parent company, Aurora Mental Health and Recovery. We are combining our forces, combining our staff, so that we can leverage each other's strengths to create this truly world-class and top-notch service for our immigrants and refugee community.
1: Why was this needed?
4: This is needed because over the past few years, you know, especially in light of COVID, in light of hate crimes, in light of the hateful rhetoric around immigration, we have seen a sharp increase in mental health needs in our community. So this kind of center of excellence will be very beneficial for our community.
1: Absolutely, and it seems like it furthers your goal here at the development center. A little bit earlier, you kind of walked me around this space, but talk to me about the origins of the center and the things that you do now. Sure,
4: Uh, we were founded in 1980 to help refugees from the Vietnam War. We started out providing mental health services because a group of community leaders noticed that refugees and immigrants had a hard time accessing culturally and linguistically appropriate services. Over the years, we have expanded our services. So in addition to mental health, we now provide adult education, which includes English classes, citizenship, GED preparation. We have youth leadership program at several different Aurora public schools. We have services for victims of crime, so victims of domestic violence, human trafficking, sexual assault, or any other crime, and we also have an interpretation and translation service. We are very proud about the diversity of our staff and the communities that we serve. Internally, within APDC, our staff speaks 15 (coughs) different languages, but the communities that we serve speaks over 50 different languages.
1: Wow, now I know This is called the Asian Pacific Development Center, but you help a multitude of people. Talk about the cultural representation in this building and really in Colorado altogether. Because one thing i like to say is we are not a monolith when it comes to culture and people. So walk us through the representation here.
4: Absolutely. We serve a wide variety of immigrants and refugees from all over the world. I mean, we do not only serve people from Asia, we serve refugees and immigrants from Africa from Latin America, from Middle East. We recently uh, are involved in helping, you know, immigrants and evacuees from Afghanistan and Ukraine. And essentially, anybody that needs our services, we are there for them. And that is reflected in both the composition of our staff, but also management and also our board as well.
1: It feels like a constant celebration of AAPI heritage here. But it is also AAPI Heritage Month where everyone in the US is celebrating. So, talk to me about some of the events happening and some of the resources available so not only our community can learn uh, this month, but throughout the whole year.
4: Absolutely. I mean, May is Asian American Heritage Month. It is definitely one of the busiest months for our community. Uh, you know, I want to give a special shout out to the Asian Pacific American Bar Association, they have worked very hard to create the master calendar of all the different events that are open to the public, that people can go to learn more about the history of our community, some fun, family-friendly activities, and you can absolutely find those links on denver7.com.
1: All right, thank you so much, Harry Budistiharta, who is with us from the Asian Pacific Development Center. We appreciate you taking time to talk about these really important issues.
4: Thank you so much, Micah.
1: Nathan Harry is a very busy guy. They've got a lot going on at that center. But I want to say I'm so grateful that he took some time to walk us through the center and to show us everything happening there. And one of the most important things happening there is the support that they provide to people fleeing countries due to civil war, due to oppression. And they walk into the space, into the center, and they're greeted with love and understanding. That is a very hard place to duplicate.
0: It is such a wonderful thing that you you hear the water in the background, the calming fountains where people can go and just say, "Okay, I'm in a safe space.
1: Yes, yes, me too. Food brings people together and one local author hopes food will open the door to more acceptance.
0: Coming up, I sit down with Gil Asakawa, who explains how the public's perception of his cuisine has drastically changed in just a few generations. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. You're back with Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. This week, we're having a Real Talk about Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month.
1: It's important to remember what this month is really about. A chance to celebrate the contributions and various cultures of Asian Americans.
0: And I sat down with Gil Asakawa who is sharing his culture through food. My
2: mom, was a great cook, you know, uh, for me growing up. Eating good Japanese food is like going home, right? It's
0: the flavors. As a boy growing up in Japan, Gil Asakawa remembers the food the most. Really, Japanese food, when you look at it, the cuisine,
2: the menu, there's like five basic ingredients that are in almost everything. And, And I can taste it. I can feel it and it feels like home to me.
0: But it's not always good memories. Gil remembers a time when he was picked on for eating Japanese food as a young boy once he moved to America. My family moved to the U.S. when I was eight years old, and that,
2: I was in third grade, and, my, and, and, and the kids in school would bully me and say, oh, you eat that raw fish stuff. Ooh, that's gross. Now, I bet you, I'll bet you the grandkids of those bullies, they go to King Supers and and they buy okay sushi, not the greatest sushi, but they they buy sushi three times a week, and they like it's nothing to them. It's the, it makes them feel cool. It became something that that made me a pariah into something that's cool in
0: like one or two generations. Yeah, and I find that fascinating. It's true, Japanese cuisine can now be found everywhere, from high-end sushi restaurants to bento boxes in your child's lunchbox. And there are so many places across the state to enjoy Japanese cuisine. Gil says Tokyo, in the shadow of Coors Field, is one of his favorites. This is a ramen and sushi restaurant, and it's been here for
2: nine years. The owner, Miki Hashimoto, uh, has a long history in Denver-area Japanese restaurants. He took couple of years off to go to Japan and study how to make ramen. And he came back and he opened Tokyo. And it's a great place. One of my favorite restaurants in
4: Denver. That's uh, how we make a uh, pot stickers. Yeah. We go to Gyoza. Yeah. She makes also for four days or five days a week.
0: With so much to love about Japanese cuisine, I asked Gil if he's worried that his culture and its food are bound to get too Americanized.
2: I think more and more, because of popular culture, because of the presence of, uh, especially in the last few years, uh, Asians uh, and Japanese people in mainstream American culture like Hollywood movies, um, I think people are, are, are increasingly curious enough to check it out and then, and then decide for themselves, oh, this isn't so weird, this, is, this one I don't know about the texture. Japanese people eat a lot of slimy things. And I like the slimy things, but I understand if people don't. Uh, You know, this is not so good, but I like this. Hey, you know, even though this is raw fish, this is pretty tasty. And, you know, that's how minds are opened and relationships
0: are formed. As an example, Tokyo is trying new things all the time. Twists on dishes considered Japanese staples. Uh, Having a vegan ramen that's really
2: good and healthy I think is wonderful. And I think that would be worth making for clearly uh, a, a market here that's looking for it. Uh, putting cheese in ramen, yeah, you know, it's funky. But I, I got to say, I, I was all ready to hate it and I ended up loving it. So you know, go figure. Yeah.
0: Now, now I'm hungry. Me too. <laughs> we also want to give Gil a big shout out because this month he was awarded the Order of the Rising Sun Gold and Silver Rays for his contribution to improving the social justice and status of Japanese Americans in the US. This is the highest award given by the Japanese government to its citizens.
1: And that's this week's episode of Real Talk
0: and you can find all of our shows at denver7.com/realtalk or online at cpr.org/realtalk have a great day